Amman wrote, I must not be working hard enough, but I don't remember feeling this same kind of exhaustion before kids. Nobody whines at work and quibbles constantly and interrupts my every task with the frequency of little kids. At work, I did what I got a degree to do. At home, I feel far more untrained. For me, parenting is the most mentally exhausting experience I've had to do day in and day out. A mom author responds, putting it straight, feminism belittled the thing that almost all women eventually do and exalted the thing that many women, Christian and secular alike, opt to set aside or place further down on the priority list for a time in order to devote themselves to a season of child-rearing. Because of this, many of us arrived to adulthood ill-prepared for the daily task of being a mom. We came into motherhood unprepared for the whining, quibbling, interruptions, and everyday normal needs of children. When truthfully... That is one of the only things that across the board most of us as women would encounter. You might work in business, my friend might be a nurse, and I might have worked in a political office, but almost all of us eventually become mothers of young children, and yet that common thing among us is the one thing none of us were well prepared for. Well, we happily turn to Proverbs chapter 31. And we note here that Proverbs 31 is given by a mother to her son. It is from King Lemuel's mother. Very fittingly, God, the Holy Spirit, has seen fit not to name her. We don't know who Lemuel was, and we certainly don't know who the mother was, but God nonetheless takes her acquired wisdom and uses it and inspires it into our scriptures. And what this mother is doing in teaching her son Lemuel is what other mothers do in the book of Proverbs. We've been seeing in our men's breakfast how the man has a key role in teaching his children. But here, in these cases, uh, the mother's teaching is right there alongside of that of the father. Secondly, by way of introduction to Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31's virtuous woman flows out of and illustrates the beginning emphasis on the fear of the Lord. And I think your mothers should really take a measure of delight in this. Proverbs 1 is going to start out with this emphasis on the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's chapter 1. It is largely fleshed out in the book. But the crowning example and closing example of this fear of the Lord is given to us, not in King Solomon, 
but in this picture of a wife and mother. And surely we cannot miss it once it is pointed out to us. Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs 31 and verse 30, the fear of the Lord. Thirdly, by way of introduction to our text, there is a discernible literary flow in this inspired poem. Her value, her activities, and her praise. And fourthly, just to say it is an acrostic in Hebrew. That is, there are 22 verses, one for each of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so each of the verses begins with an ABC, or rather an Olive Beth Gimel Daleth. And then, in keeping with something of a Jewish way of literature, if you're going to have something to memorize, then halfway through, the halfway point is marked with this double emphasis on the hands. In verse 19 and 20, she puts her hands to the distaff, her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. And then as well at the close, give her the fruit of her hands, let her works praise her in the gates. In Jewish tradition, the virtuous woman poem is recited by the husband to his wife on Sabbath evenings. So it perhaps ought to be a bit more frequent than we to do do today with having it often on Mother's Day. It was designed to persuade young men to seek a good wife. Here's mom saying, there are these dangers, the wrong use of wine, and there are these dangers of the wrong kind of woman. But then the positive teaching. And Matthew Henry says that it is the looking glass by which a young woman dresses. She looks at this picture, she looks at herself in the mirror, and she dresses trying to develop something of this character, this excellent character of the virtuous woman. Well, with that bit of introduction, let's come uh, to our text itself and notice with me Roman numeral one, the value the value of the godly mother, verses 10 through 12. First of all, her value is derived from her rarity. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above jewels, far above rubies. Virtuous stands for excellent, powerful, capable. It's often used of an army. This is a capable army. This is a powerful army. It's used as well of a warrior. Who can find a woman, a wife, who has this kind of strength, this kind of character? They are rare. Proverbs 19 and verse 14. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. She is as rare as and more valuable than jewels or rubies. Family members will derive far more benefit from a virtuous woman 
than they would if they had a truckload of jewels. Secondly, B, her value derived from her trustworthiness. Verse 11, the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. From the core of his being, he is trusting. And this valiant woman is introduced here in connection with her husband. Now, there's going to be various, the, 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 the plain emphasis of her concern for her maidens, her concern for her children, her enterprising work, but this is a married woman. This is God's way from creation. One man, one woman together for life. And this is the context for children to come. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. And men, if you have a wife that is anything approaching the standard of Proverbs 31, then please do not take her for granted. It is easy for us to take for granted that which is closest to us and that which is just always there. The book of Proverbs highlights as well, not only that she's from the Lord, but Proverbs 12 and verse 4 says that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Your wife may be the best thing about you. Embrace it. And be sure to appreciate her. Take a few steps back if you need to and get a sense of your wife's worth, the value. But now Roman numeral two. The essential characteristics, the essential characteristics of the godly mother. First of all, A, her practical wisdom. This in verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. Wisdom is a skill in living. Bezalel was full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And Bezalel, with that that skill in living, built a temple that ended up being beautiful. And here, the crowning example of wisdom in the book of Proverbs is this woman who, under God's blessing, has built a beautiful life. She's got many connections. She's got many things that she does, but she does these things for the good of others, and there is something beautiful about her life. It's the message of the book of Proverbs, as in 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, and the New Testament underscores this, that we are not to be as fools, but that we uh, should walk in wisdom. We should live as wise, skillful in living. It ought to be the goal of your life. Whatever sphere you're in, I want to build something beautiful with my life under the blessing 
of God. So this virtuous woman opens her mouth in wisdom. She is not a flighty, shallow person who lives in a bubble world. She is learning from God's book. She is learning from others, and her peers look to her for advice. Waltke says, this valiant wife has been set up as a model for all Israel for all times. Wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise men seek to marry her. And all wise people aim to exemplify the wisdom she embodies, each in his own sphere of activity. Here in the book of Proverbs, there is this emphasis on concrete, practical wisdom that is rooted in the fear of God. And that leads us naturally from A, practical wisdom, to B, her enterprising industry. She is a homemaker, a mother, a manufacturer, a merchant, a benefactor, a landowner, and a farmer. She is diligent and industrious in her work. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's obviously concerned about her own character, or she wouldn't be marked by wisdom. She wouldn't be marked by the fear of God. She wouldn't be marked by a a law of kindness that is on her tongue. She is other-oriented in her work. See it in verse 15. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidens. Verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hand to the needy. She's not a wealthy woman who hides herself from those who have need. She has the ability to meet some of that need, and she does so personally. Another writes, she is precious because she uses her strength, ability, wisdom, and valor so totally and selflessly for others. Such a wife is a gift of God and should be prayerfully sought. Verse 27, she watches over the ways of her household. She is concerned about others. She has a sharp lookout over the matters of her home. This very capable, influential, and wealthy woman is in a position to expand her wealth, and she is in a position to minister to the needs of others. And I believe a New Testament commentary on this would be Titus 2 and verse 3. The older women Likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And in all the cries for attention from this woman, whether it be the merchants, the needs of her land, her focus must be on molding the character of her children. 
listened to this account included in J.R. Miller's book on homemaking. One boy, blessed with such a mother, has written, Many a night, as I remember lying quietly in the little upper chamber before sleep came on, there would be a gentle footstep on the stair, the door would noiselessly open, and in a moment the well-known form softly gliding through the darkness would appear at my bedside. First, there would be a few pleasant inquiries of affection, which gradually deepened into words of counsel, then kneeling, her head close to mine, her most earnest hopes and desires would flow forth in prayer. How largely a mother can wish for her boy. Her tears spoke of the earnestness of her desire. I seemed to feel those tears, yet uh, where sometimes they fell on my face. He said she was close. Rising with a good night kiss, she was gone. The prayers often passed out of thought into slum, in slumber and came not to mind again for years, but they were not lost. They were safely kept in some secret place of memory, for they appear with beauty brighter than ever. I believe that these prayers secretly preserve me while I moved carelessly amid numberless temptations and walked on the brink of crime. And then Miller builds on this recollection and says, in the busyness of a mother, what mother cannot find the time to spend just a few moments every night with each child before he or she falls asleep? And let's take encouragement. If this boy was able to remember his mother's prayers, then let's believe that God certainly remembers those prayers. The wisdom, the enterprising industry, and now thirdly see her emotional strength. Her emotional strength. Strength and honor are her clothing. The word here of strength means what you think it means. It's a, an ability to rise above the difficulties and circumstances of life. Charles Bridges says, Christian courage and resolution lift her up above appalling difficulties. The Lord gives help. It's the opposite of an unwillingness to accept difficulties. The unwillingness to stand on principle in times of trial, clothed with strength. This is not the occasional dinner dress that comes out a couple, three times a year. This is the everyday dress of the virtuous woman. She is clothed with emotional strength. Fourthly, D, her merited Dignity, latter part of verse 25, as I'm reading now from the New King James, strength and honor are her clothing. And this word for honor is a word that is used of God in Psalm 45. And in your majesty, 
in your honor, originally had the sense of an ornament or a decorations we might a decoration we might think of the medals that are pill, uh, pinned on military men they've done something and then they get this medal for it they did something else and they get this medal for that it's an ornament it is an honor that has been earned by faithful consistency And it's the opposite of saying one thing and yet telling the child to do something else. J.C. Ryle in The Duties of Parents. Train them, remembering continually the influence of your example. Speak of training the children. Instruction and advice and commands will profit little unless they are backed up by the pattern of your own life. To give children good instruction and a bad example is but motioning them with the head to show them the way to heaven, but taking them by the hand in your example and leading them to hell. A graphic portrayal there for us. And now we come to, fifthly, her Christian optimism her Christian optimism. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. That's the New King James, New American Standard. And she smiles at the future. ESV uh, takes up language very similar to the old ASV. She laugheth at the time to come. ESV, she laughs at the time to come. To come, And what is the significance here? Well, it is a word for laugh that is intensified. And so it comes to laugh with a sense of mocking. There is the war horse that mocks fear and charges into the battle. One is written, because she fears the Lord, verse 30, She doesn't fear anything else. She smiles at the future. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. She has trusted God. She is reverencing Him. And that gives her a confidence to face the future. This is not the problem magnifier. Here is something that has come. Let me get out my very biggest magnifying glass and make this thing to be at least ten times worse than what it really is. This is not the arrogant self-confidence of a feminist who is confident in her own abilities and she's going to advance. But this is Christian optimism. It is a woman who fears the Lord and therefore does not fear anything else. It's a woman who in the New Testament embraces Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, there can be a good number of individuals, but God is for you. She can smile 
at the future. She can laugh like the war horse because she believes that God is going to wonderfully bless. Her wisdom, industry, strength, dignity, optimism, and now F, her gracious manner, latter part of verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. What she teaches is kindness, and the way that she teaches is kindness. And this is so different from our culture. Our culture that wants to take little girls and harden them into competitive, driven beings that must succeed at any cost. But here's this biblically balanced portrait. Competent, accomplished, and accomplishing, diligent and disciplined, and yet not hard, callous, and insensitive. John Abbott, and his the mother at home speaks of the damage that is done by those who are constantly complaining. He first starts talking out that in a social gathering, it gives the picture of somebody comes in and it doesn't matter what the situation, they look for something to complain about. Kind of ruins the mood. Some people get into such a habit of finding fault that it becomes as natural to them as to breathe. Nothing pleases them. In every action, in every event, they are searching for something to disapprove. Now, here is this law of kindness. This is her gracious manner. She is concerned about her maidens. She is concerned about her children. She is concerned about her husband. And she's not hard, callous, and aggressive in dealing with them. But there is still a gracious manner. And then, G, her appropriate elegance. Note that she does not regard it to, as a mark of spirituality to look dowdy. She makes tapestry for herself, verse 22. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The external appearance is not her exclusive concern. It is not her primary concern. There's too much work that is done for others for us to have in our mind that this is a gal who is just concerned only about the way she looks. Peter's commentary will expand. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. But at the end of the day, the woman who is working on the hidden person of the heart, there is nothing wrong with her exemplifying something of God's image in her 
in appreciating that which is beautiful. So the practical wisdom, the enterprising industry, the emotional strength, the merited dignity, the Christian optimism, the gracious manner, and the appropriate elegance. Her value, her essential characteristics. And now Roman numeral three, the legitimate commendation. The legitimate commendation of the godly mother. There is, first of all, a honor from her children. Her children rise up and call her blessed, verse 28. These are not children who feel neglected by a busy mom who is just too busy for them. They're blessed under her care, her instruction, and her example. And it is a wonderful thing to be loved by a believing mother. Rebecca Walker, the daughter of the famous feminist Alice Walker, made this observation. She actually exposed the selfishness of her mother who failed to care for her daughter. The older feminist Alice Walker drummed into her daughter that being a mother, raising children, running a home are a form of slavery. Thankfully, the indoctrination failed and Rebecca, the daughter, happily embraced motherhood and put a priority on her children. Sensible children of God-fearing moms ought to bear witness of their privilege. For Christian moms do much. You kids, you know what she does for you? Well, she's the cook, the maid, the psychologist, the advisor, the coach, the chauffeur, the scheduling secretary, the prophet, and oftentimes the school teacher. A woman with this kind of character lends ballast to the ship. It keeps it upright. It's the, the weight down there that keeps the ship from being tossed and turned. She imparts a sense of right and wrong. B, honor from her husband. Latter part of verse 28. Her husband also, and he praises her. On into verse 29. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And we as men must ask ourselves if we really appreciate the God-fearing mother of our children as we ought. Do we take her for granted? Certainly we ought not to wait until the gift is gone to all. Then appreciate how we should value that gift. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Let us encourage the wife. Let's recognize there's a huge difference between encouragement and flattery. And certainly don't hold back the praise and the commendation due to something being wrong between you. Deal with that. And then let the praise come. Thirdly, see honor from her church. Church? Where are you getting that in Proverbs? 
Well, at the end of verse 31, and let her own works praise her in the gates. The gates, or something of the public venue of the Old Testament people of God, and I apply it to the church, the new covenant people of God, that there is a broader sphere, even broader than the home, where there is an appreciation saying, believing lady, you do a lot of work. Believing lady, you do a lot of work for others. Where do you get this love that drives you? And a fair part of that work is bound up in the care of children. And Timothy 2 tells us she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. Plainly, there are God-appointed distinctions. There are God-appointed roles. And Proverbs 31 says, blessed is the woman who embraces her God and blessed is this woman who embraces who she is in the sight of this God. Blessed is this woman who looks at her husband and she understands that she is equal to him in creative dignity She is equal to him in fallen depravity and she is, well, equal to him in redemptive privilege. And this woman is going to be praised by more than her children, more than her husband, more than the right-thinking Christian community, She will be praised by her God in the day of judgment when God says to her, well done, faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And there is a danger that our daughters and granddaughters growing up in the climate of feminism, that something of that, something of that air that they breathe will influence their thinking. And maybe motherhood is not really that appealing to them. And they've they've got their minds set on other things to such a young woman I would say this you have taken your stand with God on Genesis 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth you have taken your stand with God in the gospel where you have believed the hardest thing and you have said the hardest thing. And what's that? The hardest thing to believe about the gospel is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And the hardest thing to say 
about Jesus is that he is Lord. He is boss. And if you have taken your stand, God is the creator, and I have believed from my heart that God has raised him from the dead. If you believe that, it's easy for you to believe that he died for sinners on the cross. And you have confessed the hardest thing. Not just that Jesus is your Savior, but you have confessed that he is your Lord. Then don't be afraid to take with your stand with God on marriage and motherhood. And these details that are laid out for us in Proverbs 31. Finally, Roman numeral 4. The ultimate explanation of the godly mother. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. What is not the source of her character? Well, it's not her charm. Because that deceptive charm is not the root of her worth. Charm that speaks of grace, gracefulness, having favor with another. Deceptive speaks of the disappointment. Just a, just a nice and always agreeable. No, there's got to be substance to this woman. If it's speaking of her charm in physical beauty, which certainly the, the next phrase is about. You need deep roots. Further, there is this breath-like beauty that is not the root of her worth. Beauty is vain. Beauty is passing. It's literally, beauty is a breath. Picking up on the word of Ecclesiastes, breath of breath, Vanity of vanities. Beauty is passing. Talk to some woman over 60 and ask her if she's noticed any difference. That's not the root of her worth. In comparison to the fear of God, physical beauty is like a breath. And it's true too often that those who are beautiful physically are so used to having attention on them and the world revolves around them that they do not minister to others as this Proverbs 31 woman does. Don't put your emphasis on deceiving charm and vain beauty. King Lemuel's mom wants to make it plain. You need to have a wife of character, son. Don't get so caught up in the beauty. That's not going to last. And God used King Lemuel's mom to give us this time-tested advice that is inspired by the Spirit and placed at the very end of the book of Proverbs. Secondly, B, what is not the source of her character now? B, what is the source of her character? But a woman who fears the Lord, 
fears the Lord. This is someone who has an all-pervasive sense of who the true God is. The true God is my creator, the true God is my redeemer, and the true God is my judge. An all-pervasive sense of where God is. Well, he's everywhere. And he is wherever I am. I can't get away from God. And the fear of God, thirdly, has this all-pervasive sense of what God expects of me. And what does God expect of us? Except that we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength. And that drives us to look for the grace of God. Boaz, who married Ruth, looks on this newcomer to Bethlehem, and he says, yes, I'm going to do this. For all the people in my town know that you are a virtuous woman, a woman of excellence, a woman of strength, same word, that is used here in Proverbs 31. But Boaz is able to say, you are a virtuous woman because at an earlier point, that virtuous woman said to her mother-in-law, don't ask me to leave you. Don't ask me to turn back from you anymore Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Yahweh, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. She feared the Lord. J.R. Miller closes. We are fast moving, closes for us. We are fast moving on through this world. Soon all that will remain of us will be the memories of our lives. No part of our work will then afford such a true test of our living as the memorials we leave behind us in our homes. No other work that God gives any of us to do is so important, so sacred, so far-reaching in its influence, so delicate and easily marred as our homemaking. This is the work of all our life that is most divine. The carpenter works in wood. The mason works in stone. The smith works in iron. The artist works on canvas, but the homemaker works on immortal lives. The wood or the stone or the iron or the canvas may be marred, and it will not matter greatly in 50 years. But let a tender human soul be marred in its early training, and ages later the effects will still be seen. Whatever else we slight, let it never be our homemaking. 
If we do nothing else well in this world, let us at least build well within the walls of our own homes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful example. We thank you for the challenge and for something of the pinch that we all feel in looking at this ideal woman. We pray, our God, that you would use this study for good. We pray that you would help us all to be those who are reverencing you and living for your glory. And we pray, our God, for those moms who sit here this morning and have pain in their hearts over a wayward child. We pray, our God, that you would take the faithful labors and the faithful example of years past and that you would yet own that for great good and that you would lead to faith and repentance. And our Father, we pray for moms who are busy with all of the demands of caring for young children, and we pray that you would use this tremendous example for much good and much encouragement. And for young girls, we pray that you would help them to value this inspired standard, and we pray that you would impress on them something of the nobility of motherhood, to impress on them even the place of the virtuous woman in the book of Proverbs. You start out with all this Solomonic wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And you close out the book by this unknown mother of this unknown King Lemuel. But you close it out, nonetheless, with this wonderful example of what the fear of God looks like in a wife and mother as it is worked out in concrete and practical expression. Father, show your mercy and encourage our hearts. For those who find themselves opposed to you, soften with grace and mercy, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.